Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey, audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcasts. Today, I have Jeremy Siria from Boston. Jeremy is one of my mentors. You know, I'm happy to have him here to talk about uh, commercial real estate. And uh, Jeremy has been focusing on Texas and a lot of markets out of Northeast US, like uh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts and, uh, of course, Texas. And he have done a lot of deals. I think he used to syndicate and now he's also investing as a passive investor. And he focuses a lot on multifamily, uh, medical office business, medical office buildings, uh, retail, and also office. Hey, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, James. What's happening? I mean, with all this COVID-19, uh, I know you're not in New York, but you're in Boston, which is you know, almost near to Epic Center there. I mean, what's happening with you personally and the uh, commercial real estate business right now? Well, that's a great question. Uh, we're, we're all healthy. We're home. I've got four kids, um, eight and under, and uh, it's, it's, it's a little crazy, but we're feeling just frankly blessed at this time to have a moment of pause in our lives to focus on the basics together. I think, you know, amidst all the tragedy that's unfolding around us, that's actually a, a blessing. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you have to look for positive things in, uh, you know, whatever situation that we are in right now, right? So so tell me, I mean, about what are you seeing right now in the commercial real estate space? What was happening in February before this whole COVID-19? <laughs> and now we are in the middle of it. This is like almost all in April, mid-April to, uh, you know, towards the end of April. What, do you, what are you seeing right now mm-hmm. that has uh, completely caught your attention and create that aha moment for you? Well, I'll tell you, the interesting thing is we've been over the last three or so years saying, well, when's the recession coming? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we were looking for it. We we're looking for leading indicators of a recession. And here it is. <laughs> it's, it's upon us. And it's more of a black swan event than really any, any of us would have expected to have happened to such a point where I, I, I've been talking to people about this being similar to our country being invaded mm-hmm. and the government shutting down our economy as a defense mechanism. So... That that's a that's a pretty fascinating um, set of circumstances for us to be operating within right now in any business, let alone the commercial real estate space. So, do you see a lot of transaction has died down right now from what you you were doing uh, two months ago? And and uh, yeah, so the you know exactly. we, one of the things I do is I track I track data. So I live outside of the Boston market. I track that data very, very closely to see what the volumes look like. And the, I'll tell you, the, 20, the 2020 Q1 data was, um, was up 75% in terms of vol- sales volume over Q1 of 19. And so it was a very healthy, very, very healthy start to the year. But as soon as you go and you shut down the economy, 
Um, it, all the volatility comes into the market and buyers start to pull back. Lenders start to fig, try to figure out what to do, um, who to lend to, how to lend. Um, and then you've got sellers pulling back saying, is this, am I, am I exposed here? Is this a dangerous time for me to be selling my property? So the first, I'd say the first uh, month of this event was really characterized by people trying to figure out what's going on, <laughs> mm. what's happening. And um, this, this last month is, is being more, is being characterized with more intentionality. Okay. Here, here's what I'd like to see happen in three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. So the discussions are moving forward to a, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop focusing on the hourly news cycle and I can see more of a two to three day news cycle. And within that environment, I can start to think strategically about what's next for me. Got it. So do you see, so you're seeing sellers are starting to look at more strategically. So I know some people were talking about V-shape versus U-shape and I think some of the V would have changed to U right now, right? Uh, I don't know whether, or Nike switch, right? So where do you think we are heading from March 2020, you know, now it's April, Yeah, which letter of the alphabet are we going to see? I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I listened to a great webinar, which is which is done with Casey Conway mm -hmm. and Eddie Blanton, who's the, Eddie's the president of the CCIM Institute, Casey's the chief economist. They got on a webinar, and I think you can see this, you can catch it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, and Casey got on and he talked about the letters and he goes through the different shapes. Oh, okay. Some of them I'd never heard of before, but they like, like if, what happens when you have a fiat currency recession, it's a Q, I guess. <laughs> but he said, you know, if early on we were hoping for a V, he thinks it's going to be a W. Mm. And I think he's right. I think the W is we go through an initial dip. We have, an, we have a recession now. We start to rebound and recover in the summer is, is people start to get outside and start to circulate and, you know, return the flow of capital. Um, but we go back into a secondary recession in the fall driven by two primary things. One uh, concern over COVID, you know, uh, spiking again. Mm -hmm. And the second being the, all the bad news that accumulated from March through September, that, that that shows up and we see a secondary recession as a result of, of what's happening right now. He said it's probably, and I think he's right, it's, we probably don't start to see the volatility come out of the market until this time next year, 2021. And it's just going to be a matter of riding this, uh, you know, riding things out the best we can in, in 2020. So when you talk about the second deep, right? I mean, I think first is the V and after that is another V, which is coming in, coming in, which makes it a W, right? So are you mm -hmm. saying this, I mean, from your perspective, do you think the second lowest point will be lower than the first low point or will be higher than the, the first low I point? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I know those low points take a lot of pain mm -hmm. and, they, and they dish it out. And so in our, in our business, in commercial real estate investing, and that people have been asking me, okay, so when are the deals going to show up? <laughs> you know, yeah. where are all these distressed sellers? Well, it takes time. It takes time, right? What kind of time? Uh, why do you think we need takes time? 
Well, if you look back historically, when we go through, we've gone through recessions and they, they happen, they happen just about every 10 years in, in the last 40 years. This one was a longer, this was a longer cycle than we, we, we'd seen. So typically you see expansion kickoff in the, the third year of a decade. You see uh, a transition year in the eighth year of the decade. We go to a recession, then we come back up and out. This one didn't happen that way. And I think, I think it's because the Obama administration didn't push the FDIC to recycle assets like we'd seen in prior recessions, which which extended the uh, recovery period. It took longer to recover and expand in this last cycle. So as a result of that, the cycle lasted longer. I, I think it just was a, a longer period of protracted growth. So we have, um, you know, in, in the time frame of how things tend to play out, the on the inside, you might see real estate deals two quarters after a Dow correction, but typically I see like a four to six quarter lag off the Dow. And there's a reason for that if you, if, if you follow the money. So mm-hmm. start with the Dow. What is the Dow? The Dow is a highly liquid market. People are trading on nanoseconds and they're trading based on, on projections and perceptions. So from there, company companies, are their shares are devalued. They, they report you know, revenue, they have revenues coming in lower, their earnings are lower. They start adjusting their P&Ls, they lay off people, okay? So unemployment comes up. Then they start to look at their real estate and they say, well, we need to, we need to reduce our exposure to real estate. We're not demanding as much square footage. Let's give some back. That goes back to the landlords. The landlords get the space back. They have to, they, un, they rent it for less or they can't rent it. They burn through cash. Then they go to the bank and they say, hey, bank, I'm having some issues. Um, bank says, okay, well, let's work with you for a little while and see if you can get through it. That takes another three or six months before it ultimately hits the point where the bank says, you have to get out of the asset. You know, we've got to take it. So it's, 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 a, it's a slower moving, you know, it's a slower moving asset class. That's one of the reasons why people like it. I mean, when you're buying, you want it to happen now. You want it to be fast. But when you own, when you own this, it, it has less volatility than the stock market does. And that's one of the reasons why people are, get excited about building durable wealth in the space. Very interesting. So, so I, I just want to touch back on what you mentioned just now. So you said during the Obama administration, the 2008 crisis, you said FDIC did not recycle assets as yeah. quickly as you now. So can you clarify that? Because that's completely new. I, I never heard about that. <laughs> well, if you want to go back, so if you look back at the savings and loan crisis, okay, okay this is this was back in back in the late 80s the tax reform act mm-hmm. what it, what happened was the depreci- depreciation schedules were changed Correct. on how real estate was was owned and written off the tax world had distorted had dis- distorted real estate valuations that that combined with the junk bond industry and banks investing in junk bonds chasing yield okay to make money so that whole those two things together broke down the system and what happened was banks, the FDIC went into banks and said, we've got a lot of, your balance sheets are a mess. Um, your ratios are out of alignment. We want you to call your notes and, and recapitalize. So banks actually started calling owners up and saying, you have to pay us in 30, 60, 90 days, pay off your mortgage. Well, okay, but when all the banks are doing the same thing, there's a problem. So owners were foreclosed on, they dropped their prices to liquidate their buildings. They, they filed bankruptcy and all this real estate ended up coming onto the bank balance sheets and the FDIC came in and said, okay, well now we're gonna set up a corporation called the Resolution Trust Corporation to liquidate all this stuff, flush it out, okay? 
establish the market bottom, and then we'll we'll come out of it. So in 08, a lot of people were thinking that was what we, what we were going to see. We had a we had a finance finance and demand induced recession. And so we expected to see real estate defaults go back to the banks. The banks would take the properties over. The FDIC would come in and say, push the stuff back out on the street, mark it down, recapitalize, and then we'll get back to business. They didn't do that. Instead, what they did was they came in, they closed the really, really, really sick banks. And they a lot of them were set up as M&A deals. So they had other banks buy out the sick banks to dilute the balance sheets and then clear off the sick, the sick real estate. But what, what they ended up doing was they did a lot of forbearance agreements and they extended loan terms so that they could keep the owners operating the assets, even through all the pain of the recession. So as a result of that, we never saw a real markdown or mark to market on, on all those properties. They weren't quote unquote recycled. So if the idea was to keep all the real estate in everyone's and all the owner's hands, you saw fewer deals on the buy side and you just saw these owners just barely making it holding on to these things, waiting for the economy to start to pick back up and for demand to come back into the space so they could they could recover the valuations and ultimately refinance the bank off the asset or sell the asset and recover or just break even on it. That takes that takes a little while to do that. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why we saw this sort of longer cycle this time. I mean, a lot of people were looking at Trump's administration and his policies for for, con- for continuation of this. I, I do think that was part of it. But I think what we really had was we had a long recovery. And, and it took us until 2013 to really jump into an expansion phase from 08. But it wasn't a, it wasn't like a jump. You know, it, it was kind of a slog to get there. Yeah, you can see 2013 onwards, you know, the property, the cap rates start comprising, you know, a lot more compared to, you know, from 2008 yes. to 2012, right? So Yes. So do you think that's going to happen in this market cycle where somewhere there's going to be, you know, FDIC going to come and do I this? Uh, you no, know, I kind of kind of think that's not going to happen because if you follow like follow the logic here with me. Mm-hmm. So country gets invaded, government shuts down the economy. People are forced out of business. Landlords default on mortgages. Banks have to foreclose on property. Bank FDIC makes them and, and says, now you got to recycle the buildings. So if I'm the owner of the building that went through that whole horrendous experience, I'm looking at the government going, well, wait a second, you shut down the economy and now you're, now you're telling the bank to take my building away. Mm-hmm. How can you do that? So I'm not sure that that's the outlet on this one. I think the outlet's probably going to be uh, it's going to be a, a it's going to be just the market, and it's going to be buy, buyer demand and what buyers are willing to pay. But it's going to be driven by two things over the next couple of years. One is who your tenant is, their stability and their durability to pay rent, and number two, the lending resources that you have available. My concern about this situation we're in is what is, is banks freezing lending to, to attempt to reduce their exposure to de- degradation of net operating income. That's a concern because they take they take the debt liquidity out of the market. When that happens, you, that that slows transaction velocity down considerably, and that that will that will bring pricing down. And that's you know if you're buying, that's the time to buy when money's hard to get. And when it's hard, when it's easy to buy and money's hard to get. 
but you still be uh, you have a challenge in terms of landing right because the terms may not be as favorable during the peak of the market but it's it's interesting i think the lenders the lenders when we go through recessions they they get picky by who they lend to mm-hmm. having relationships with your lenders is critical so your local banks are extremely valuable um they want to know that they've got strong hands operating these assets and using the money correctly so th- those are you know those are elements to to be very focused on in in maintaining those relationships it's the national banks that concern me with you know I was talking to a so we're going to deal last week and Wells Fargo said well we're not we're not doing it we're not doing the deal we're not lending period just shut it off yeah except for multifamily right i presume all other asset classes like very very less uh, in terms of lending multifamily i don't know fanny and freddy still doing it even though they have additional reserve requirement uh, which is good for multifamily but i think it's just hard to do any deals anyway right now because no one knows what's the price no what's the price the <laughs> no one knows what's the cap rate i definitely know cap rate is expanded right uh, definitely not compressed or stay yeah from what two months ago but how much it has expanded right and yeah who's going to take the risk of what are they buying right no one knows you get back to good old fashioned cash flow mm-hmm. and there's is i always tell people there's always a market for cash flow in any in any market cycle there's a market for cash flow the key is figuring out who the tenants are and in multifamily where do they work you know it, it amazes me when i i, I talked to multifamily investors about their properties I, i ask them when your tenants fill out credit apps you know, or or a rental application you get their place of business you should, or their where they where they work you should be cataloging every single employment center in your portfolio and finding out which industry sector they're in because you 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 could i mean for all you know you might have 60% of your tenants working in the cruise industry you just don't know you know so having having an idea of what your economic footprint is by income diversity in your multifamily properties is really valuable information to have yeah yeah even multifamily near to airports right where there's a lot of workers from airports and airports are shut down right so that can be a big issue as well in terms of demographic right so yeah we never really looked at it because you know but i recently looked at it, it looks like we have a really good diversified in my portfolio but i don't think so many multifamily buyers have done you know demographic analysis until now recently right yeah so. yeah it's good to do <laughs> <laughs> now it's like okay you better know who are your tenants right yeah you want to know who's paying rent so i i have a question for you sure good. so Okay, so multifamily deal making. Um where the deals are, where they're going to be. One of the things that that Casey Conway mentioned on his webinar that fascinated me was he said he expects to see hotels converted into multifamily housing. And he also said we we may even see cruise ships become multifamily housing. I just heard recently I mean in fact this morning I was listening to a podcast by Robert Kiyosaki and uh, Ken McCarroy who were talking about 10 years ago someone was pitching this idea let's convert the cruise ship into a moving condos and sell yeah. the condos as an apartment right I mean have you heard about yeah. that I was like wow really like <laughs> <I> do that <laughs> maybe that's coming back I guess right so, may these cruise these cruise comp- these cruise lines they they're going to have surplus cruise ships aren't they Mhm mhm yeah absolutely I mean, got to imagine demand will drop will drop off for a considerable period of time in hotels 
Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the tenant demographic analysis and the economy, right? So, so looking at two, what happened in 2008, we did some kind of a benchmark with what happened then and what happened now. But what happened now is basically the service industry and the people who are on a paycheck to paycheck, right? People are living paycheck to paycheck. They are the biggest impacted because everything stopped, right? So the people who have higher pay, who are basically living in A class or, you know, who are, who are working on a normal, you know, highly paid job, they are working from home. They're not, they didn't lose the job, right? So, so this is my thinking, right? My thinking is just like, yeah, I mean, people, once everything opens back up, you know, the paycheck to paycheck is going to go back to work. Right, but there's also going to be a global economy slowdown because now this virus has impacted almost every country. Right, the whole the whole economy, the whole global economy is going to slow down. So my thinking is even on multifamily class B and C, you know, uh, where people are living paycheck to paycheck, they're going to go back to work and they might be a, a quick recovery. But people who are in class A who are, you know, uh, who are working from home, now they, their company is going to have impact, right? That's where the Dow is going to have impact because now your corporate profit is going to come down because now you have a global economy slow down, right? So so I think even though now you're, this is just my thinking, maybe we can just, uh, you can figure out whether, you know, we're thinking the same. The class B and C is going to, is, is getting impacted right now. Class A, not so much, but it's going to swap later on. Maybe in the second part of the, uh, the W, right? Or the V in the second well, it's starting already. Okay. The if you look at um, office work and employment, mm -hmm. and you and you read the news, you're going to see that companies that didn't lay off office workers are reducing their salaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. And 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 you're hearing about owners saying, you know, the owner of the company saying, okay, I'm going to waive my salary. Everybody in the organization is going to take a 10, 20, 30 percent pay cut. With a with a floor, you know, not not to be no less than. Following that logic, you're, you're taking all that money out of circulation, and it's not being spent. So, of course, that's going to slow. Of course, that slows things down. Mm -hmm. The question is, how long? You, you you definitely have a slowdown. That's that's inevitable. But the second piece is how how long those people stay employed, and do and you know, are they able to get through this at a, and operate at a level that with those cuts, they can sustain operations and then start to start to pick back up when spending returns or it's, and it's going to be incrementally returning. It's not, it doesn't just, this won't be a light switch. It's, so we're, we're talking about W's and then I talk about, it's a dimmer switch, you know, the dials. <laughs> Okay. So you go and you can flip the switch in the room, the lights come on, but there's the round dial, you kind of push the knob and then you can adjust the, mm -hmm. we're gonna, I think we're going to be doing that for a little while, we're turning the lights up, turning them back down, turning them back up. And it's going to be partially in response to people hearing about hotspots or breakout, you know, breakouts of COVID until we have a, a situation where the majority of the population has been exposed and we've processed the virus or we have a, a vaccine to manage manage the virus. Yeah, but this is going beyond the virus, right? So, I mean, maybe the vaccine is already up in the next, you know, eight months or one year. I'm sure I, people are saying one to one and a half year, but I'm sure mm -hmm. the administration is going to, to cut a lot of red tape to, you know, pull that hey, in. They, so. they built the nuclear bomb pretty fast, right? <laughs> they had to. Have to, yeah, because, you know, <laughs> during this crisis, everything is all hands on deck, right? So. Yeah all processes are get thrown away or, you know, there's, there need to be some kind of leadership happening there, but I think, I think it's happening. 
But I just think the second order effect, right, on this overall slowdown on the job loss losses on how the world is going to change, right, and how it's going to impact commercial real estate. Or what do you think would be impacting in commercial real estate? Let's say you know you have experience in office, multifamily, yeah. retail. So let's go through each asset class and see, you know, what do okay, you, what do you see so, as impact? All right, retail, very you know, significant damage to retail. Okay, I mean, department stores are pretty much talking about the end of their era here. This may be an extinction event for the department store. So do you think even if, we, if today we have a vaccine, would, what would be the impact be if we already have a vaccine? If we had a vaccine to the, for the department stores? Yeah, for the department store, for the retail industry. I don't know that they really cut. They, they survive longer, but this is devastating for them. When, when Walmart, Target, Costco, and Amazon are seeing 25 to 35% revenue growth, that, that's all that, all that money is flowing, you know, flowing in different directions than Macy's and Lord Taylor and Nordstrom's. So the department stores are, are definitely, um, they were weak coming into this. This is terrible for them. General retail, you know, I, I think quick service restaurants like with drive-throughs come back very quickly. The drive-through is kind of an ideal service model for this environment where we'll we're, we're be going through and coming out of. And the cost, the cost point, it's a, uh, it's a low cost dinner, you know, dinner for the family to go, go to Chick-fil-A, you know, and grab, you know, feed the family for 50 bucks. So, you know, quick service comes back quickly. I think some of the other sectors where we've got, you know, experiences, you know, it's interesting services and experiences were really kind of the bellwether in this e-com impact on, on retail real estate, but they're, they're getting hammered. And so you're going to have some service and experience spaces return. They'll they'll reemerge from this in the weaker ones. They just won't make it back. They won't make it back. Um, so it's, I think in restaurants, full service restaurants, maybe half of them come back from this. It's just going to be very difficult to, to re- reopen all those. But don't you think someone is definitely going to buy that space? Uh, somebody else and have the same vision as the previous owner. I mean, maybe the original owner is no more there. 50% are gone, right? Because they can't last it. But it's, someone it's, is going to buy you're it. going to see new, new operators come in. Yeah, look, restaurant, full service restaurants, they can be recycled. And you're going to have operators say, well, we, you know, we made it through. Let's, let's open another location because it's, it's on sale. We can get the equipment and mm-hmm. refurnish it and, and open and go. So there'll be opportunity there for new operators. So the industry is not going away. It's just the operators are disappearing. Whoever the wants. operators are disappear. It's it's a slow recovery for them. It's a difficult recovery. And the real estate there will be there will be some good real good restaurant real estate that will become available. It will happen. Okay. So I know retail. That's that's sort of my my take on it. it it's, I wish I could be Are you seeing a lot of distressed sellers right now? I mean, you do a lot of transactions right now. People. No, not right now. I think it's early. Is uh, yeah, I think it's still early. I think people are just yeah. uh, riding through their cash flow, just you know, watching, and it's nobody early. knows what's the price, and nobody, not many people are distressed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, multifamily, I agree with you. If you segment by class, ABC, you look at the populations that are renting from those units. The the A class seem to be more insulated because they tend to be professional, high high income office working uh, still employees. Still from home, I guess, right? So yep. The B's and C's tend to be more service service level, and they've they've got a lot more exposure in this environment. So you know they they get laid off quickly, but they get rehired mm-hmm. first because they're lower cost. Um, the office workers they get hit later 
and, and they, you know, they're slower to come back. What's that rule of thumb? If you've got, you know, for every $10,000 in salary, it takes you a month to replace, to find a new job. No, I, I never heard that. But that's new, that's new ratio. I don't know if, that's a, if it's true, but <laughs> I've heard that. Bigger question that I've got on multifamily is the suburban versus urban. We've been in an urban cycle the last 10 years. Yes. And I've been... Um, Explain that a bit. What, what do you mean by yeah. urban cycle? Is it people more building more multifamily in the urban areas? Yeah, it's it's the live, work, play, lifestyle, millennial, you know, millennials and baby boomers wanting to live in the city mm-hmm. near where they work, walkability. Right. Yeah, people like more... Rich environments. That, um, there was a, a quote that I was reading today from Goldman Sachs. And and they're saying they're expecting a flight of millennials to the suburbs from urban markets, and it, it makes sense. What does what does a suburb offer? Less density, more more value for what you rent. You may you may be working from home more, so they may be making decisions about well, I could have done a one bed, but I have to get a two bed because I need a home office. That that's mm-hmm. a consideration to take take into uh, keep in mind. And then there's just the overall comfort of, hey, you know, I don't want to be in downtown New York right now. That's not a good place to be. I want to get out to the burbs and just have have some more space. So I think the idea of the idea of urban versus suburban is it's 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 going to be a big topic here over the next four or five six years. Got it. So I think that's very prevalent in where where you are, but you also buy in Texas, right? I mean. From what I see in Texas, everything is a suburban mid-rise yeah. apartment, right? A garden style apartment. So I do yeah. I, I mean there's very, very people I know who buy uh, apartments near downtown, even though they are, but sure. But I, sure. Yeah, it could be it depends on which market you are we are talking about. Right? It yeah, it's it I agree with you on that. You know, northeast we we have a very clear urban suburban um, experience. You know, Texas, it's, you guys just keep building rings. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, we have a lot of land here, right? So plenty of land. garden style and live in a garden. <laughs> yeah. As long as you got the water. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but there could be like tertiary market where it could be more interesting. I'm not sure if, if people less density or not. I mean, everything seems to be less density for me uh, in Texas uh, just because, you know, we have, we have a lot of land here and, mm-hmm. you know, people move around uh, pretty well everywhere i guess so yeah yeah you got you got a lot of a lot of roadway yeah could that also mean that there's a lot more investment coming from the coastal city to places like texas or florida or where it could it, it could mean that yeah i, okay. I the, the suburbs what's interesting about the last cycle nationally the suburbs have been kind of out of fashion so there's there it didn't have the same run-up in value that the urban markets did so the, I started to see that um, the last couple of years where investors were starting to look at suburban markets and say, well, I can, I can still get some yield there. So I'm going to go invest in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. The, this is now, this is now going to really bring that conversation to the forefront. Yeah. 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 I think that's where like, like places where, where you are, like Boston's called like gateway cities, right. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, you know, uh, places like where I am is not really gateway. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, a suburban uh, market, I would say, right? So yeah, yeah. So industrial, I, I, I I'm still bullish on industrial. I, I think we'll see some dislocation in distribution and port port industrial. I, I, I don't know what the future looks like with China. I mean, we import a lot from China through Long Beach and the inland, and it goes to the Inland Empire. 
And I, it's, I think we're going to see some of that shift to other port markets as we start importing from other parts of the world. But overall, with, with consumer behavior shifting, it had already started before this. If there's been anything that's going to accelerate the demand for industrial space, it's this. Because you're going to have ghost kitchens, you know, restaurants that basically just, they're like catering kitchens that they just run full time. They have no seating and they deliver food, you know, meal, basically meal, meal prep. Um, you're going to have more demand for online consumption and, and distribution and shopping. That's going to put more pressure on existing in, in industrial inventory. I sort of thought the industrial market was peaking in the last couple of years, but that may not be the case. There may be, still be some runway in that market. So when you talk about industrials, basically um, warehouses where, you know, products are made and distributed, I would say, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, I can see that with more manufacturing going to be coming in-house right now, right? I mean, with all this, that's one shift that's going to be permanent. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows that, right? So, so do you think industrial would be the asset class that most beneficial from that? I mean, because I'm looking at... It's going to be a lot of more manufacturing factories coming here. I just don't know which asset. Yeah, I, you know, and that's 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 really. I mean, you you remember doing 102 in CCIM, and we talk yeah. about basic employment. Yes, absolutely. And as soon as you start to see manufacturing coming back in the United States, that's going to be a really really good thing for our economy. Correct. Um, it's going to be really. It's going to really boost uh, multifamily a lot, and mm -hmm. it will help retail and it'll help office. But you you, you know, it's it's really a value it's a it's a it's a power source it's an engine for economic engine for importing money into economies local economies i think industrial overall in terms of if you're on the buy side it's like you want to be really careful about industrial exposure to china but the rest of the industrial story i think is um it's going to be it's going to be a good place to be I think it's going to be a good asset to own. So is industrial equivalent to manufacturing factories? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so manufacturing, okay. flex, R&D, so that's research and development, warehousing, distribution, bulk storage, cold food storage. Just there, you're going to see that, that stuff cranking. Cold uh, food storage. Okay. Yeah, cold food storage. So this is not the self-storage that we're talking about. No, we're talking about like freeze, like freezer facilities, that type of thing. Yeah. Why is that? It's because people are going to be continuing to demand home delivery of food. Hmm. And you, you got to store it somewhere. Well, I've never seen one whenever I drive around, so I don't know where, <laughs> it's, where is it being stored. <laughs> they're kind of funny looking. You know, if, if you, sometimes on the outside, they're a little funny looking. <laughs> but, uh, now it's going to be looking nice, nicer because it makes more money, I guess. Yeah. So, so when, how do I position myself or anybody else is listening? Um, let's say if I want to take advantage of this manufacturing coming in house right mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how would a commercial real estate investor should be able to position that? that's a good question so you want to you know the main thing about manufacturing is you want to find buildings that have that have good characteristics for an efficient manufacturing operation mm -hmm. so grade level you know slab on grade buildings with uh ceiling heights in them that are you know it preferably 16 18 feet or higher that have good loading access. You can get a tractor trailer, multiple tractor trailers in and around the building to access it. Plentiful parking for, for labor. So typically you're gonna see, you know, one parking space per 800 square feet is a, is a code, a kind of the building code standard for um, manufacturing warehouse. 
but depending, you know, power, you know, power supply, how do you have enough power coming into the property and um, utility services? So you could probably, you know, you're probably going to be able to find some outlier properties that you could, you can bring into that market, you know, convert over. And, and, and I mean, the other thing is you might want to be looking at retail and converting that to distribution. That That's, you know, zoning is restrictive for that. Mm-hmm. Because typically municipalities don't like to see industrial uses in retail locations, mm-hmm. but you may end up seeing big box or department store or retail buildings that have those characteristics of what I just described, because a lot of them do being converted to that use. It could be manufacturing or it could even be distribution. So which uh, market should we be looking at to position ourselves for this kind of uh, industrial asset class? Um, I think, uh, frankly, I think you can look at pretty much any market in the U.S. I, th- I think this is a this is not a specific market. Now, if I, you know, I think you can do this. You can follow that formula in any market in the U.S. Now, if you okay. want to do a let's let's look at the demographics and the economic drivers in a market. You want to look for population growth, employment growth. If there are more people moving there and living there and it's growing, that's a good thing because people demand space. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other way to look at it also is like um, if there's already a manufacturing hub in that city or state, you know, that could be a good expansion place, right? If you find some assets around it, I guess. It could be. It could be. The other thing the other thing you're going to see are companies trying to find manufacturing redundancy. So if they've got a, a facility that, that goes down in another location, they can continue supplying from the from an alternate which is, it's really, it's interesting because it's, it's sort of contrary to what Gordon Gecko would tell us to do, right? Share, build shareholder value, become more efficient mm-hmm. and, and be more profitable, do things faster and increase volume. And the way you do that is you bring everything into one location and make it as streamlined as possible. But now we're looking at a, um, a situation where, and this has been going on in manufacturing for a little while, customers demand redundancy because if there's an event or a disruption to a location, they want to make sure that they still have a continuity of supply chain. And so they're getting what they need. Um, so I, that, that's that's even more important now than it ever was. So we'll see we'll see some of that. So I think you gotta you gotta kind of get in, get into that world and and talk to people and find out who's looking at bringing things home, who isn't, and then start to think about the properties that they could be using. And and you might even have the opportunity to go out and pick up some land and put something on the land for someone. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure. There's going to be some kind of government incentive to do that, right? Because now the government yeah. wants a lot more manufacturing. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So office. <laughs> yeah, let's go to office. Uh, you working from home? <laughs> yeah. <I am. laughs> so what's going to happen? We'll continue to work from home, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so if you had a choice today to go to the office or work from home, which would you prefer? Is the question, and I, I got to imagine a lot of people are saying, "I'd love to get back to the office. I miss mm-hmm. talking to people, yeah, talking to people. people, socializing." That's that's missed, and I think the home the home officing thing is great. But boy, when the when it's home officing and schools are shut down, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> so this this sort of experiment is, you know, forced home officing. Can companies do it? It's yeah. You know, we we've got a variable that shouldn't be there, and that is the kids. The kids should mm. be in school. It's. I think people go back to the offices, but they you know offices may end up seeing a, a similar thought, which is 
hey, instead of piling everybody on the train or getting everybody into the center, center of the city to work, maybe we need to have a smaller office in the center of the city and then have some suburban offices, spread people out, improve their commutability and create redundancy in our workforce, you know, with people being closer to the closer to their smaller offices. I think that I'm hearing that a little bit in the market now with people I talk to. I think that's something to keep an eye on that. Again, I kind of like the suburbs. I think it, I think there's an opportunity in the suburbs and office may actually be a um, suburban opportunity here. Got it. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is people are just going to go back to office. I mean, it's not going to die. But it's I don't think it dies. No, suburban, right? So, I mean, if anything, you know, we've gone from in in the office space. I mean, you see these offices where people are like, and they're benching. I I went into an office building, and people were waiting in line to get in the bathroom mm. in an office building. And the reason is is, is that the the building was built for more or less one employee for every 300 square feet. And when companies come in and they go, we're going to be more efficient, we're going to get one employee in for 135 square feet. All of a sudden, the bathrooms are overloaded, the parking's overloaded, and the, the buildings, it's, it's too dense. The, the amount of people in there is not designed to carry that density. Well, throw a pandemic in the mix, and the idea is for us to be six feet together in this world we're in right now. Maybe maybe we're going to see that, you know, that office demand change where, you know, I want, I want to be able to shut my door to, to an office. I don't want to be at an open bench next to my colleague sneezing on my keyboard, mm-hmm. you know? So that I think there's, I think we, we go back to the office. It's important. The nature of the office is to bring us together and for us to work and collaborate, share ideas, but also to have deep work time. We need to be able to do deep work and we need to go somewhere to do that. So maybe, maybe it's not about packing as many people in and forcing them to, you know, assemble and work together, rather spreading them, spreading them back out a bit, providing some, you know, some work from home, some work from the office days, maybe you're home two days, three days in the office. So I, I, this is, this is a fluid one, but I I think, I think we're back. We go back to offices. I I think it's, I think it's how we do work and we can do it this way. You know, we can talk to each other, but it's not as fast, in my opinion. Information's slower than it is in person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was talking to Dr. Glenn Mueller, right? So I'm sure you know him right now. This was like two months ago when we're looking at all the asset class and office was the uh, opportunity because it was going from, uh, it was just recovering, going into the expansion cycle. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and I asked him the same question, hey, what about people working from home? He said, well, you know, human are social creatures, you know, they like to be together, right? And, and, and you are absolutely right about communication and deep work and all that, just so hard to do working from home. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think people are going to go back to the office, especially after the vaccine is yeah back up right yeah i will i will make this prediction mm-hmm. so just like after 9 11 the u.s government moved in security and defense this is a healthcare crisis i think the next decade will be a healthcare decade we tend as people we tend to overcompensate for a trauma that we just experienced so that we never have to feel it again and so I think we're going to see when we rebound from this, healthcare will come back very quickly because there will be such a backlog of demand for everybody else who's not suffering from COVID but has a knee replacement or you know a, an oncology treatment. I mean, everything they're they're going to be they they need to get in for services. 
but we're going to have we're going to have a situation where healthcare is going to be at the forefront of government decision making, um, investment, and in, in development of protective and planned responses to anything like this coming again. So I, I, that's that I see that space as, as a very fascinating space to to watch and get involved in as you see us start to come out of this and these discussions come to the forefront. So how should we prepare for that opportunity? Well, it's going to, it centers around the hospitals. And if you follow, if you follow hospital strategy, um, they've been merging with each other to become more efficient as they struggle to operate profitably in a very, in a very narrow margin environment. Um, And one of the things they've done is they've expanded by going out into retail-esque locations and creating outpatient and urgent care services that essentially become a a feeder for the hospital. So I I, I expect to see more of that because that's a lower cost way for hospitals to expand. Hospitals are very expensive and, and they tend to be constrained geographically because of where they were sited. You don't see a lot of just new hospitals being built around the country. They tend to have um, additions put on them. So as a result, they, they expand out into multiple locations that become more like a, like a hub and spoke model. So I, I'd be looking at anything in the healthcare space in the next several years. I, I think it's, it's just going to be a really, really good place to be. So are you talking about like medical officers? Are you talking about medical labs? Office. Yeah. Or life sciences, medical. Medical. I, I, I can't really comment on life science. I don't follow it very closely. It's so specialized. But and, and for, I, yeah, I probably should know more being in, out of Boston because it's a center for it. Oh, yeah. But it's big center, right? <laughs> I hear about it all the time. I just kind of go, oh, yeah, labs. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, anything, with, anything with healthcare. I'm I'm loving it in the next several years. But even on medical offices, I mean, the tenants have a long lease terms, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, how would that increase the valuation of the property as a real estate investor? We always, one is we look at cash flow. The other thing we want to look at, you know, um, value increase as well. Well, there's, it's, it's durability. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the great things that medical office offers you is like a 90, 90, 90% and higher renewal probability rate. The, um, you know, historically, it's been a recession, quote unquote, proof um, investment class. Not this time. I, I was looking at data last week, 42,000 healthcare professionals lost their jobs. Oh, really? were laid off. I mean, you go, what? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? Because hospitals aren't allowing for elective procedures and mm-hmm. it's urgent care only. So... They they're laying people off. It's it's a fiscal nightmare for the healthcare system right now. So they that that that's short term. Okay. Um, the P there was the uh, version. What is it? Version three of the PPP we're on now. Mm-hmm. That just came out, and there's billions of dollars going to the healthcare system, which is a good thing. Got it. A good thing. So the short term healthcare is volatile. That may be that may be the opportunity to pick up some property. Um, I think that over the next decade, it's it's going to be a wealth builder. So you mentioned about 
some of the healthcare, which is, you know, located in the retail centers mm-hmm. and all that become like a hub and spoke model. So that's like single tenant healthcare, right? Compared to multi-tenant. It could be single tenant, could be multi-tenant. You might have a medical office building mm-hmm. with, you know, four, four practices in it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Got yeah. It. Got it. Yeah. I think those are, those are good, really good, good investments. And it could be offices converted to medical offices. As yeah. Well, right? Yeah. It could be, it could be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I just look back at 2001. I mean, if you if you were in the uh, like the metal detector, you know, security business in 2000, mm-hmm. probably not really interesting. <laughs> right, yeah, by 2001, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's what I see here. I'm like, mm. this, this is going to be interesting. There's going to be um, an overreaction in healthcare. Mm. I think there's going to be opportunity there. Could there be like construction of healthcare facilities, like medical offices, or do you think just buying new med- medical offices? I think there could be there could be development. We're we're, we're early on that. I, I I don't I don't know that that's anything that we're going to see probably for three years. Mm-hmm. I'm just following the trend. I'm kind of following how people are, what they react to, and then where they go. And for us to come out of this and not have a national discussion about. How are we going to be prepared for the next pandemic? It's going to happen and money's going to flow there. And, and there's going to be a lot of pain and people are going to say, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. I don't want to hear about ventilators next time, you know? And so I, I think that that presents an opportunity for, for investors to get in front of that now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure for the next three, four years, people are going to say, we don't want to have that healthcare problem again, right? And I don't mind paying for this, right? So kind of thing, it's gonna be a lot more investment. So I think medical offices would be a really good investment move. Yeah, I, I liked it before this and I like it even more after. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Good, so what about other asset classes like self-storage or mobile home parks and, you know, what else is there? Warehouse, I think is probably part of the industry. Yeah, we talked about warehouse. Hey, you know, self-storage, Kind of, kind of a maturing asset class mm-hmm. late in this last cycle, but I think it's still very, very viable, and, and it's a good place to be. You're gonna, you are gonna have dislocation of residences in the next couple of years, so self storage will be is going to be valuable to people who need to store their belongings. Mobile home parks. I mean, look, it's everybody needs a place to live, and if it's affordable, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna work. So I, I, again, there, I think I see an opportunity too. Got it, got it, got it. I think multifamily, we did talk to in, in detail about it, right? Do you think there's going to be a lot of crash happening in the single family space? Because there's so much of short-term rentals. People bought a lot of short-term rentals as second houses. And right now there's no short-term rentals happening. Yeah, that's not so good. The air, like kind of the Airbnb. I mean, you're sort of in the hospitality business there. So yeah, those those folks are going to need to convert to long term or sell. Correct. So I think there's going to be you know a lot of people you know giving up their second short term rental houses away to the banks, and there could be a lot more houses available. I guess right. So yeah, that could be an opportunity. You know, if you if you want to buy and rent or uh, buy and rehab and and then resell that 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 space could have some volume coming through. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, did I miss out any asset classes? I think that's that's the more important. I think, right? we, I think we got most of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you think we're going to be 
much better in terms of economy wise just because there's going to be a lot more base employment which is manufacturing happening in the US I mean I'd love to see that yeah I'd love to see it I ho- I hope that um I hope our comp our our companies can come come home with that mm-hmm. and who knows I mean with with the the unemployment rate being what it's going to be for a while and the wage growth that we didn't really see in the last 10 years and we just lost on that maybe there's an opportunity for us to employ people that you know otherwise we couldn't have on a manufacturing basis to make it make sense i don't know yeah, yeah. i'll leave that up to the manufacturers to figure out <laughs> got it got it so i don't want to forget one asset class which is uh, hotels right I, i'm not sure whether we went deep into hotels so that's going to be i think hotels are really suffering right now oh it's terrible right um, when i hear 9% occupancy rates <laughs> yeah that's bad news yeah that's that's crazy right now so hopefully hotels survive through this downturn i guess right so well some well they'll uh look we need we still need hotels <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> it is it, there we still need them so they're the strongest best located hotels will come out of this thing um others you know they they won't they'll fail and they'll either get bought at a discount and with a lower basis they can compete in the market and grow back out or you're going to see them reused for something else got it got that's it. that may, maybe that's the multifamily conversion Yeah, if the city allows it, of course, uh, then it could be a lot of uh, studios and efficiencies, I guess. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I've seen that happening in, in some cities and some projects. So, mm-hmm. all right, Jeremy, thanks for all the value. Uh, can you tell our audience and listeners how to get hold of you? Sure, sure. So I, you can you can uh, check out our our stuff on CREinvested.com. That's C-R-E-I-N-V-E-S-T-E-D. dot com. Uh, I've got an investment course there that is available. And um, if you ever want to chat with me, you can email me at Jeremy, that's J-E-R-E-M-Y at C-R-E-Invested.com. Yeah, Jeremy is a wealth of knowledge. I mean, he's also a senior CCIM instructor, right? So there's a lot of uh, knowledge with him and absolutely, uh, you know, would be a really uh, huge value to connect with you and just to learn from you. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, James. It's a pleasure. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audio book. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audio book completely free along with other valuable resources by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.